0: <laughs> do we? Oh, no, nope, I think everybody left. I, <laughs> we, will, we will sing the doxology next, next week. <laughs> That's probably my bad. I think I did things a little out of order. Uh, I do apologize. Uh, <laughs> this morning, we are continuing in our series, Keeping It Hot. Uh, and if, you, if this is your first time here, uh, I'm Pastor Nick. Uh, so great to have you here this morning. Uh, I'm filling in for Andre this morning. Nothing wrong. It was a planned absence, uh, but he has been doing such a great job, and I'm so excited. Uh, I know he's super excited about this series, uh, and he's even more excited about that green coffee mug. He loves the color green. Um, thank you guys all for participating last week in the in the Wear Green. I know uh, afterwards I talked to Pastor Andre, and, and it really... Uh, really uh, affected him and encouraged him. Uh, and that's what we're here for. We're here to encourage one another uh, through Christ. Uh, so this, this week we are continuing and Keep It Hot. Uh, we are gonna be in Colossians chapter two, uh, verses one through eight. Uh, so if you have your Bibles and you wanna turn uh, to that, this will be the time to do that. Um, and just a couple, couple reminders into the introduction of the book of Colossians. Uh, the church, uh, the people in, in Colossian, uh, was faced with false teaching that threatened to undermine their faith in Christ. So Paul wrote this letter of encouragement and strength to strengthen their faith in Christ and to warn them against the dangers of false teaching. How many of you in here have ever been fooled by something or tricked? Uh, most of us, I think, um, for me, uh, one thing that, that I I actually really enjoy is sleight-of-hand magicians. Uh, how many of you have ever seen like a, sleight, a really good sleight-of-hand magician? Like These guys can take like a quarter from over here and be like, boom. I wish I would have... I, 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 if I had more time, I would have done something cool with magician work to, to, to use this point effectively. Uh, but it's something that I've always enjoyed watching. I know that it's not real magic. I know that they're not... It's, it's, a, it's an illusion. Uh, and, and that is different than what Paul is talking about these, these false, these false uh, preachers and teachers are coming in and doing. Uh, with one, you're like excited. It's like, okay, how are you going to fool me? The other, uh, what Paul's talking about is people that are coming in maliciously, trying to take advantage of the church. Uh, people who are, are trying to gain wealth, uh, gain prestige, from being in front of, of these people in the church, and, and he's, he's writing to warn them, and it appears that it's already happened several times. He wants to encourage them so that they're not uh, disheartened by what is going on. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 1 says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not yet met me personally. Uh, other translations state, what a great conflict I have for you. Uh, Paul is continuing this athletic metaphor that we saw in, in uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 29. And he's, saying, he's not saying that he's, he's conflicted with the people that are, that are there in the church, but he's saying he's conflicted with these people that are coming in and trying to hurt the church. Uh, he says, continuing in verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Paul's goal was this, because he was concerned about their enthusiasm. He knew that discouraged, downtrodden, downcast Christians, Christians uh, can, are easy prey for this world, the flesh and the devil. He knew that people that, that were encountering these would get discouraged, and he wanted to ward against that. So he wanted to encourage the body of believers now I wanna use a, another sports metaphor, uh, but h- how many of you have ever been on a sports team? Okay, I, I'm looking for like everybody's participation. A- a- who here has ever played a sport at all? In school, in anything? All right, good, most of us. Um, think about this. What happens when, when things aren't going your way? When you get a little discouraged? Uh, you see it a lot in NBA basketball right now where like a team will get down by 10 and they'll just give up. Even in the playoffs, they just give up and then they get blown out by 30 or 40 points. I had this happen to my volleyball team a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were in the playoffs and we, we were up against a team that, that we were supposed to beat. We were a higher seed than they were. Uh, and so we went into the, the game pretty confident. Uh, the first set came up and, and we... We weren't doing great we weren't playing great uh, but we were in the game and then down the stretch a couple bad calls uh, a couple mistakes by people on our team uh, and and we lost the first set and then we had people who were arguing on our own team they were divided uh, within us and and like I was watching it like people were angry at each other and I'm just kind of standing back here like we're just playing volleyball guys Uh, but the rest of the game I'm just sitting there like I'm not really into this because everybody's so upset uh, and everybody's so discouraged. And then we went down quickly, five or six points, right off the bat. And we just couldn't recover from there. Paul is, wants to warn Christians against this. He wants to encourage Christians not to give up just because it looks like maybe we're a little bit behind. Not to give up just because we look around and we, we don't see as many people here as we used to. It, it's, we're called to be encouraged. We're called to continue God's work. Picking up in verse 2. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, all, in, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this is an important idea in Paul's letter to the Colossians. With this, Paul refuted some of the bad teaching, troubling the Colossian Christians. They were influenced by teachers who told them to seek treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but not to seek them through Jesus. Paul lets us know, you will will only find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus. He has them all. It's not wrong to seek after wisdom and knowledge, but we must seek them through God. In the, in, in the area he was in, sorry, in the people that Paul were, was, was talking to, they lived among the Greeks. And the Greeks loved their philosophy. And they loved to hear themselves talk about their philosophy. And they were always coming up with new things. That, and whoever could make it sound the best, make themselves sound the smartest, that's who people would follow. And Paul is warning against this. Warning against the people that could come into the church and sound really good about what they're talking about. And then lead the people away from Christ. Continuing in verse 4, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in the spirit and delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and build up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. Paul begins by emphasizing his struggle for the believers in the church of Colossians and nearby Laodicea, expressing his desire for their hearts to be encouraged and united in love. He seeks to strengthen their faith and knowledge of Christ, who is the source of all wisdom and understanding. The passage then transitions to a warning against deceptive philosophies of human traditions that may lead these Christians astray. Paul continues... And to caution them against being captivated by empty and deceitful philosophies that are based on human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world. He urges them to remain steadfast in their faith in Christ, who is the embodiment of all wisdom and knowledge. So he's telling them here guys, it's just Christ. It's not all these other things that the world is telling you to add into it, it's not Christ plus healing crystals. It's not Christ plus, it's not Christ plus this, not Christ plus that, it's Christ alone. Paul further encourages the believers to continue their spiritual journey in Christ. Rooted and built up in him and strengthened in their faith, he emphasized the importance of gratitude and thanksgiving, reminding them to be vigilant and not to be taken captive by empty or hollow arguments that are contrary to the teachings of Christ. Three things we're going to look at uh, in the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. And these are three themes that we find throughout Scripture and come up in our everyday life. One is being humility. Two is obedience. And three is discernment. And we're going to break all three of these down this morning. First, we start with humility. Paul knew that when people get together, arguments will arise. That has been my understanding and my experience. Anybody else? When two or more are gathered, there are some arguments sometimes. Uh, Also good things. Um, It happens, it happens in every church in the world today. Believers will, will argue about things and lots of times, the things that we tend to argue over are things that aren't even important. Can I get an amen on that one? Uh, there's arguments about when we discuss doctrine, there's arguments about how the church should be ran, there's arguments about how who should be in charge, what kind of worship, worship music will be played, whether or not the coffee will be served before or after service. Oh, that one I'm on the side of before, just in case anybody like <laughs> needs somebody on their side. But um, Anyway, there's all these things that, that we get up in arms about, that at the end of the day, some of them just, they're not the main thing. The list goes on. I think it is important to note the difference between minor disagreements among believers and the deceit that Paul is talking about avoiding in Colossians. Uh, it takes humility, obedience, and discernment to tell the difference sometimes. If you would turn with me to Second Kings uh, chapter 5, uh, we're going to look at, the old, at an Old Testament story that I think brings all three of these themes together. Verse one, now Naaman was commander of the armies of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a vigilant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now leprosy carried a significant stigma with it, um, especially during that time. There were a couple things that you weren't allowed to do if you had leprosy. You were isolated from the rest of the community. You were both physically and socially isolated. For the Jew, you were considered ritually impure. That means you weren't able to go through with all of the rituals that most of of the people would be allowed to. Uh, And then as far as like in society... People wouldn't want to be around you because they were worried that they would also get leprosy from you. Uh, It was something that they didn't quite understand at the time, and they were worried that if if they were too close, uh, they would catch whatever you had. Uh, Continuing in verse 2, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria— he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naam." To you, so that you may cure him of leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? Uh, I used to read that and think that uh, the king of Israel was just overreacting. Like, he sounds very dramatic about this. Like, this king is just asking for his servant to be healed. Thought maybe you could help. Um, but no, what's he do? He rips his cloaks. He's, he's in agony over this. Uh, and, and now I, I kind of understand it. See, I, I'm a dad of, of three boys between the ages of four and eight. Shane's almost eight. He's not quite eight yet, but soon. Um, and I'll tell you what, at least three times a day, they come to me with a question not quite like heal me of leprosy, but they come to me with a question that I know that if I answer it pretty much any way, somebody's going to be upset. They're asking me for something that will either make one of their brothers upset or their mother already told them no. And so if I give them the answer they want, she's going to be upset. And most of the time, you know, as parents, I have no idea that they've already asked mom for what they're asking for, right? Anybody else ever been there? A couple of you, yeah. Um, and then of course, if I deny their request, then they're gonna be mad at me. Uh, so now that I, I, I'm a parent uh, with this experience, I understand uh, how the, the king of Israel read this letter and was like, somebody's gonna be mad at me about this. Uh, if not, even if he did heal him, people from within his country might be mad because this is a a foreigner coming in being healed of leprosy. There's people here in Israel that have leprosy that need healed. Why would we help them out when when we have people here that need help? That might have been going on through his mind as well. Continuing in verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went, to, went with his horses, his chariots, and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hands over the spot and cure me of his leprosy. So here, Elisha sends his servant out with good news. With this good news that, hey, this is what you have to do. This is what the Lord has told me to tell you. You go to the Jordan River, take seven baths. Pretty simple. And you'll be healed of this leprosy. And, and what's Naaman's reaction? He's upset. He's mad. It goes on to say, Are not Abana and Pharaoh, I, I butchered those names of rivers uh, in Damascus, uh, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage, So here's this guy who has leprosy, this horrible disease. And he's seeking help because a servant girl of his wife told him that the Israelites might be able to help him out. So he comes to Israel. And and he gets this answer, but it's not the answer he expected. It's not the answer he wanted. Um, Well, it is, but not in the way he wanted it. How many times do we do that where we ask God for something and God gives us our answer, but we're like, no, I don't like how you, how you package that. I'm going to send that back. I'm not happy about this. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's, honestly, he's acting a little childish. He's getting what he wanted, but not quite in the way that, that he wanted it. Uh, He was expecting Elijah to come out and make a big show of healing him. Elijah wasn't even bothered to come out himself. So maybe he was a little, his pride was hurt. His pride got in the way of God's blessing in his life. Thankfully, Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would not you have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. We need to surround ourselves with people like Naaman's servant in this story who are willing to come to us and tell us, no, this is, this is what God's telling you to do. You're just ignoring it. People in our lives who will, who will speak truth. Now, this doesn't say that Naaman went down to the Jordan and was happy about what he was doing. I think maybe in the back of Naaman's mind, he thought, they're playing a trick on me. They're telling me to go and take a bath in this, in this area because they, they want to, I don't know, make fun of me because I have leprosy. Maybe at that point, he didn't believe that he would actually be healed. But his servant talks some sense into him. And he says, wouldn't you have done so much more? Like he would have walked through fire to get this leprosy healed. He would have given probably everything that he had. He had packed up lots of gold, his clothes, everything he was willing to give over just to be healed. But when it came back that it was something as simple as going and washing in the river, he didn't want to do it. And I think sometimes for us, that's our experience with Christ. We, we think that because of our past, because of the things we've done, when we get to the cross, we think that there's something that we have to do in order to, to gain God's salvation. Surely it's not as simple as asking God into our lives. Surely I have to do something. Surely I have to give you something. Surely I have to re- do, do something, not just repent. That's all I have to do is repent and fall on my knees before Jesus. Sometimes that's a hard pill for us to swallow because we think that we should have to do more. We should have to suffer more. God's gift of grace is given freely. It's for us to accept it. Now, that doesn't mean our life is going to be all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, As all of you know, uh, once we accept Jesus into our life, our life doesn't get easier. It does get better. Continuing on in 16, the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. We're going to talk about the significance of humility in approaching God for his guidance. Humility acknowledges our own weakness and limitation. It recognizes that we cannot rely solely on our own understanding or abilities to navigate life's challenges. Naaman first had to work through his pride in order to get to the place of humility. He had to first realize that his servant was right. That just because it wasn't how he felt like it should go doesn't mean that God wasn't working. And then who does he give glory to? He gives glory to God. It says in verse 15, which I think I skipped. I'm going to go back for a second. Then Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant." He acknowledges that there is no God in the world except for the God of Israel. That's a big thing because they had their own gods that they followed. His king followed a different God. But he was making that proclamation because God had given a gift to him so freely. He realized who he was. Second, the importance of setting aside our own expectations and submitting to God's will. Humility fosters a teachable spirit, an attitude of learning and growth. Colossians 2 verse 3 tells us, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. When we approach God with humility, we acknowledge that we still have much to learn, that our understanding is limited. Uh, I've found this my entire life. The more, the more I'm in Scripture, the, more I, I, I'm, the, more, the closer I feel to God, the more I realize how much I have to learn still. It's it's a process throughout our entire life that we're seeking after wisdom. Uh, With the youth, we've been been going through the book of Proverbs. and, And Proverbs 1, it tells us how to seek after wisdom. And it's like we're seeking after a buried treasure I told the youth when we were back there, I was like, it's like if I told you that there was $300 hidden somewhere in this room. How hard would you search for it? And they're all like, nah, we don't need money. No, they're like, is there $300 here? I'm like, no, I didn't hide $300. That would have been cool. I, maybe one day, well, I'll be able to do that. Uh, but it's one of those, how are we seeking after wisdom? Are we seeking after it like we know that there's buried treasure here? All we have to do is keep digging. But the first step is to set our pride aside and come to the Lord in humility. The second point I want to make tonight is obedience as an act of faith. uh, Naaman's obedience to Elijah is seemingly simple. The instructions are easy go and, and, and take seven dips in the Jordan. Naaman ran the risk of looking foolish in front of his people. It was probably already a bit humiliating for him to have the disease that already made him look unclean. So for what he had to do to get back into the river and wash himself over and over and over again had to have been hard. But he had to set his pride aside and humbly do what the Lord had asked. When we approach God with humility, we acknowledge that he is the ultimate authority. Obedience is an act of aligning our will with God's will. It involves surrendering our desires, our preferences, the plans, our plans that we have made over to God and saying, God, show me, give me the wisdom so that I can seek after your plan, not my own. Let me not lean on my own understanding, but on yours. And the third point that I want to make tonight is discernment in the midst of deception. And this is what Paul is writing to the church in Colossia to talk to them about so they won't be deceived. Let's revisit Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I'm gonna admit something to you right now. Um, And for those of you who know me, it's not really much of an admission, Uh, but I know nothing about cars. Nothing. Uh, I mean, I know that you you put the key in, you turn it, you put gas in it, it goes. Uh, I know which pedal to push and all of that. but as far as like the inner workings of a car, um, I don't really know much or anything. And honestly, I don't really care to learn much. It's never been something that I've been interested in. But you know what I struggle with? When my car breaks down, when my, something goes wrong on my car and I take it to a mechanic. Now I know there are, there are lots of, uh, of good mechanics out there and there are a lot of mechanics that are that are going to try to rip you off. Uh, and I'm pretty sure when a mechanic sees me walk through the door, they know that I'm the kind of person that they can be like, yeah, that, uh, that uh, spark plug costs us like $800 plus labor. And I'll be like, oh, that sounds so unfortunate. And I'm like, is that right? Uh, and and I can be taken advantage of. Uh, I, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I got an oil change, and and they were they were going through all these things and they were like hey would you like us to check the filter the air filter and i was like sure what's what's the harm in checking the air filter and they show me this like dirty air filter and i was like yeah of course like change that out and then like i look at my price tag afterwards and it like tripled the cost of my oil change and i'm like oh well it looked really dirty and then i do a little bit of research afterwards and realize like i could have changed that myself for 10 bucks i was taken advantage of i was led astray Now, there are things that I could do to make sure that didn't happen the next time I took my car in. I could get my owner's manual out for my car. I could read that thing from start to finish. I could get on YouTube. I could watch all kinds of videos about it. I could seek out guidance. My father-in-law is a Toyota mechanic. Like, he has been a mechanic for over 30 years. So if I need guidance, I can go to him and ask him questions. Yet still, sometimes, I don't do that. Why? Because I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't care that much about my car. Uh, but I know that like, when I get taken advantage of, I'm a little upset. Now, sometimes we fall into that as, as Christians. We, we say, yeah, we, we love God. I love my car. I really do. I like that it gets me from my house to the church. I like that it gets me from my house to work. I like that it gets me from my house to visiting whoever I need to visit. I love that about my car. And I think sometimes, especially in today's world, in today's Christianity, we have a lot of people that, that really like their car. They really like being a Christian. They like that it gets them from point A to point B. But when somebody comes along, that sounds really fancy, that has a degree, that, that makes them feel good about what they're talking about, it's easy for them to be led astray. We see it all the time on, on television. You have, you have these, these televangelists who are, who, are, who are predatory. Not all of them, but some of them are. And, and they're seeking out these people who, who, who don't, don't know their owner's manual. They don't know the first thing because they're not opening it up. They don't don't care to seek out that wisdom. Paul is warning the church that we should not be like that, that we should try to learn and, and gain knowledge in every way that we can about who God is so that we're not taken advantage of by wolves in sheep's clothing. Continuing on, uh, the next point I want to make and the last point I want to make uh, is Nahum's initial struggle with accepting Elijah's unconventional instructions. Naaman struggled with accepting Elijah's instructions. Naaman placed expectations on how he thought things would go. When God met him with an option he, did not, he had not thought about, he wanted to walk away church, do not get so wrapped up in what you think God wants for us here at New Promise Church, that you're willing to walk away when it doesn't look like what you think it should look like. And that's hard. I I know I'm asking something that's hard. That's hard for me as well. We need to be seeking after God's wisdom, and I really do believe that's what we're doing here. That's what I believe we're doing, what, what the elders are doing That's what I believe this this search committee is doing. Uh, And I've met the candidate that they're talking to. And and honestly, I've only met him once. But he is a man of God. And I am excited. And we need to be praying as a church for who God is going to anoint to come into this place and shepherd us. Because church, we need a shepherd We don't need a wolf in sheep's clothing. We've had that. We don't want that. We want a man of God to come into this place and to share with us how we can follow Jesus better. I want to encourage you today, church. Just like Paul encouraged the church, be in the Word. Be prayerful. Just like when, when my car's doing things that it shouldn't be doing, I call my father-in-law. We, when, when things are going in our life the way they shouldn't be going, we need to be calling our father in heaven. We need to be talking to him. We need to be praying. We need to come before him every day and lay down at the foot of the cross. Join me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you are doing here at New Promise Church. Lord, I thank you that that we are are so close. Lord, you know that we are so close. Lord, let us follow after you with everything that we have. Lord, let us seek after your wisdom through Christ like we are searching after a precious jewel that has been hidden. Lord, let us tear this room apart Lord, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your guidance. We pray that you move in a mighty way here. Holy Spirit, come.